0: Hey, it's Clark from PaleoHacks.com. Happy Thursday and welcome back to the Paleohacks podcast. Today, we got Johnny Bodwin, Dr. Johnny Bowden, making his return. Uh, he was on not only the best of episode of Palerhacks, but I believe two other times he came on the show and he always blows it out of the park. Today was not an exception. He uh, He showed up with his A-game talking about smart fat why high fat diets are making a comeback why we're hearing so much about them um, and how you can eat more fat to lose weight and what that even looks like you know it's not just cramming sticks of butter in your mouth all day and you lose weight what's what's the real practical science behind why eating fat makes you lose weight or makes your brain not inflamed or makes your joints not ache um, all sorts of stuff on this show. You don't want to miss it. Paleohacks.com, of course, the number one place you can go to check out our blog, articles, and hundreds of smart fat recipes over there. If, if you're new to this, that's a great place to go. Sign up for our Paleo for Beginners guide, um, fast track. But if even if you're advanced, head into the forum. Start answering some questions, helping people out. You guys rock. You're a huge community over there at PaleoHacks.com. If you want to get a hold of me, Clark at ClarkDanger.com. Go over there, answer the 11 questions, Change Your Life. It's a free ebook I put out. And then of course, Snapchat is the place we are migrating to, or I guess focusing on, Um, that's where all the kids are these days, at PaleoHacks or are at Clark Dangerous, that's O-U-S, and PaleoHacks on Snapchat. All right, that's it for announcements. You ready for the show? I am ready for you to hear it. Let's go check out what Johnny Bowden has to say. Paleo Hackers, welcome back. Happy Thursday. So excited because with me, I have the board-certified nutritionist, best-selling author of 15 books, self-proclaimed pain in the back in the nutrition industry.
1: Oh, you're being polite. I don't say that, but I'll, we'll we'll take it for the G-rated audience, yes.
0: <laughs> His latest book is Smart Fat, Eat More Fat, Lose More Weight, Get Healthy Now. Dr. Johnny Bowden, thanks for coming back, man.
1: Thank you for having me. Delight to be with Paleo Hacks. I love it.
0: Third time's the charm. It's number yep. three for us, man. That's right.
1: That's right.
0: So I know you're an avid tennis player. Have you had time to get out there and crush it lately? Are you
1: kidding? <laughs> I go, I guess people who, who read my stuff know this because I talk about it all the time. I'm on the court every single morning at 745, every day, including today. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we going to see in the Grand Slam tournament anytime I, I, soon? No, you would think for somebody who plays 12 hours a week that I'd be better than I am. But no, unfortunately, it's, the, it's my curse.
0: You have good tennis fashion. I know that's a big... I
1: have good tennis. I look great on the court. I don't necessarily have a decent serve, but I look good doing it.
0: One of the most important parts, man. <laughs> of course. Hey, I'm really excited. I loved having you on both times. Thank you. Uh, Unleash Your Thin, was that was one of my favorite shows Thank from you. two or three years ago. Thank uh, you. Really genuine guy, and you know your stuff. Thank um, you, man. So, So this book, Smart Fat, I know you got 15 books, so... You're used to this whole thing, but you've been in this nutrition industry now for decades. I'm curious to kick it off. What was the biggest new insight or insight that stood out to you when you were putting together Smart Fat?
1: Well, I think we started with the insight before we wrote the book. So the book was about the insight. And I think the insight that you're talking about, the one the the, the takeaway from that book, if you had to sum it up in in an elevator speech of 15 seconds, it's that The way we have been distinguishing good fat and bad fat is obsolete. We do have good fat and bad fat. There is good fat and bad fat. But if you ask 99% of America what that means, you're going to get the wrong answer. You're going to get the following answer. Well, good fat, we know there's good fat, like olive oil is a good fat, right? And then fish oil and bad fats are all the saturated fats and the trans fats. You'll get the trans fats if you're lucky. Most of the time they'll just say the bad fats are saturated in animal product fats. And that is the big takeaway message of smart fat that is ass backwards, completely wrong, boneheaded, and a a remnant of 1980s nutrition thinking, which is that, you know, all saturated fat was bad, all vegetable oil was good. This is part of the advice that has made the country fat, sick, tired, and depressed over the last 40 years. It is bad advice. We try to correct it in smart fat. We explain that the only distinction only metric you have to look at with fat has nothing to do with saturated has nothing to do with polyunsaturated has nothing to do with whether it came from an animal mineral vegetable fat fish planet it has to do with one metric only and that's this is the fat toxic if it's toxic fat it's bad i don't care what its origin was and if it's not toxic fat it's either neutral or smart neutral being it'll have no effect on your health one way or the other consume it all you like or don't and you know or depending on taste depending on calories whatever your your metric is and if it's smart fat you better make an effort to get it into your body because if you don't you're really missing out on some big health benefits so that's the big takeaway from the book smart fat
0: Huh. Okay. So the only distinction is toxic
1: or non-toxic. Yeah. And let me explain what toxic means um, because a lot of people don't really, really get this. Um, And I think the best way I can explain it is to use an example that happened out here in California, Southern California, live in Los Angeles. Two years ago, we had an E. coli scare and they traced it to spinach and they recalled all the spinach. You couldn't get spinach at Whole Foods. You couldn't get it at Trader Joe's. You couldn't go to Subway and save some spinach on that sandwich, gone, all gone. Not one health professional, even the god-awful American Dietetic Association, not one of them, got on the air and said, hey, spinach is a bad food because everybody intuitively understood that what we had here was a contaminated crop of a good food. It was a good food that somehow got contaminated. Well, now let's look at animal products in this country. Factory farmed cows, that have nothing to do with the farm, by the way. If anybody's ever seen one of these things, they try to keep, them, keep the public away from them, but a factory farm, a feedlot farm, they're called capos, you guys know about that, confined animal feeding, uh, feedlot operations. They are basically processing plants for things that happen to be alive, but that nobody looks at as a living being thing, they look at as a, as a commodity and they line them up in these tiny cages, battery cages if they're chickens, God knows what they do with pork, and and then of course the cows are in these little things. They are fed grain, number one, not their normal diet, makes their stomach acid, requires even more antibiotics than they would normally get because they get so sick from the grain. All of the pesticides, all of the sprays, all of the crap they put on the grain, that winds up in the animal's fat and meat. Then they feed them the antibiotics, partly because they get sick from the grain and partly because it fattens them up. Then they feed them steroids, hormones, bovine growth hormone. All of this winds up in their fat. They are toxic, not because they're animals, but because they've been forced fed all of this junk that doesn't belong in their food, in their meat or in their fat much like the spinach yet you've got all the dietitians saying don't eat meat it's really bad for you it's only bad for you when it comes from these horrible factory farmed operations if that were the only meat available to me in America I would become a vegan and I am very very far temperamentally from a vegan or a vegetarian but if that was all that was available sorry that's what I'd get so the answer here is not to avoid meat and and dairy the answer here is to avoid anything that came from a toxic factory farm. And yes, is it harder to find grass-fed? It's a little harder, less so now because they have it at every farmer's market in America. Even our local Target had it for a while. There wasn't enough demand for it, unfortunately. But if it's making its way into Target, if you can kind of get it to Trader Joe's, it's starting to go mainstream. And that's the effort we have to make if we're going to eat really healthy food. It's not about is meat good or bad. It's what kind of meat are we talking about? Are we talking about factory farm? Yeah, it's real bad. Are we talking about grass fed? Bring it on.
0: Yeah, it's night and day with that quality. That's a really good distinction because um, it, it's kind of like saying all cars are the same. You know, well the environmental impact of like a big honking H two Hummer on the freeway gas right. guzzler is way different than like. A Prius that's getting exactly. 100 miles to the gallon. And so, what you're saying with like factory farming and organic grass fed sustainable farming is yes, if you peel it down, they're both fats, but one is the Hummer and one is the Prius.
1: Well, look, I, I, the best way to I, I, really, really black and white clear example, I have some nice organic baby spinach here loaded with nutrients, no pesticides, nothing. And I have some here that I'm going to pour some kerosene on. Which do you want? Now, it's not the spinach. It's the kerosene that's making it dangerous. So we've got to start looking at our food, like meat, for example, particularly because it's one of the, the worst offenders in terms of contamination. We have to look at it not as whether it belongs to the class of meat or not meat, but does it... Dip- does it belong to the class of toxic or not toxic? And that's what we talk about in Smart Fat. And as long as, I'm, as long as I'm on a rant about fat, the other side of this, the one that has not been demonized, but has been made into a kind of an icon, vegetable oil. I mean, God, even Walt Willard at Harvard, you know, we need more vegetable oil in our diets. No, we don't. Here's the deal with vegetable oil. Vegetable oil is a high source of omega-6. You have two essential fatty acids in your diet, every single human being on the planet. There are two that you can't make, omega-3, omega-6. You can't make them in your body, therefore you have to get them from the diet. So omega-6, which is found in what we call vegetable oils, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil, canola oil, all of them contain a lot of omega-6. Now omega-6 by itself is not necessarily bad. But omega-6 is pro-inflammatory and omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. And those two things need to be taken in, in the diet and they need to be in balance. The ideal ratio of those two things is one-to-one. You have you know, one um, one count of omega-6 for every one count of omega-3. It can still be healthy up to maybe four-to-one in favor of omega-6. You still got a pretty decent ratio. I like one-to-one, but anywhere in the one-to-one, two-to-one, three-to-one, four-to-one, you're okay. Our average intake in America is 16 to 1, and most people think that's an underestimation, but it's been able to be shown in absolutely peer-reviewed research that it's 16 to 1 at least. I suspect it's as high as 20 to 25 to 1 in some parts of the country. And One of the reasons for that is that everybody uses vegetable oil because we have been so brainwashed not to use saturated fat, but to use the vegetable oil. So we switched in all the restaurants, switched to good healthy, lard, switched from good perfectly healthy lard uh, to canola oil, which they then refry at high temperatures. And they're creating all kinds of, of compounds that are far worse for us than the lard ever was. And not only that, but you can't swing or open a grocery store without finding any processed food on the shelf has got some form of either canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, safflower oil, hydrogenated oil. They're all vegetable oils and they're in everything. So as a result, we are consuming about 16 times more of those than of the anti-inflammatory omega-3s. And then we wonder, why are we seeing an epidemic of inflammation, which happens to be at the core of every major degenerative disease?
0: Yeah, it's big with the ratio. That's really fascinating with the three six, and then uh, where do omega nines come in? Do those? Well,
1: there doesn't seem to be a, a a basic human need for that, which doesn't mean that they're not really good. Omega nines, which are uh, found, those are the monounsaturated fats. The most famous of which is olive oil, but also macadamia uh, nut oil, and one that's making a huge. Uh, a, a push right now, which is avocado oil. I think partly because of our book. Avocado oil is a bomb. It's got the highest smoke points, like 500 degrees smoke points. So you can cook anything in it. Um, it doesn't have much of a flavor, which doesn't bother me, but some chefs say, well, it doesn't have much of a flavor. Well, I had the flavor with your spices, but it's a great oil. And those, those are all omega nines. And, um, they're anti-inflammatory. They are clearly associated with healthy diets because it's the main fat that they get in the Mediterranean. And, and certainly we know all the epidemiological studies show you know, lower rates of everything in the in, in people who more or less follow a Mediterranean pattern, which has a lot of omega-9s. So yeah, I think omega-9s are the bomb and we should get them in our diet. There isn't a, you know, a, a minimum amount, but we consider them in our book as smart fat that you should actually make an effort to include in the diet on a daily basis. And that could come from avocado, it can come from walnuts, it can come from avocado oil, uh, can come from olive oil.
0: Okay. Johnny, I want to ask a really basic question for the person out there listening. Who's, who's wondering why, why is fat even important? What does it do for me? I've been told fat's been bad and okay, now I'm going to eat more, but why, why should I eat fat?
1: Um, well, there's a number of things. The first of which is fat is the best source of energy on the planet, dietary source of energy in the planet. And let's, let's start with that. Um, well, maybe I'd, I'll give you the bullet points of all of them and then come back to them as long as I don't forget them. It cushions the organs, uh, a great source of energy, as I said. Um, uh, it's anti If you use the right ones, it's anti-inflammatory. Most, probably one of the most direct benefits of more fat in the diet is weight loss. And people say, well, how can that be? I'll tell you how it can be because you've been lied to about what causes weight gain what causes what runs the show when it comes to weight gain is hormones not calories hormones and fat has a much better effect on your fat storing hormones than any other macronutrient so let's go over those one by one best source of energy so when you and I talk about energy, when I speak to a, a group like at the paleo conference on, you know, and I, or any conference, I spoke at GNC yesterday uh, in Dallas. And, and if I talk to any group, even an educated group, and I say, hey, lots of energy, people think of that feeling of get up and go. But biochemists talk about energy in terms of the cellular level. There is actually a compound in every single cell of your body. It's called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. That is the currency of energy. You need ATP to blink your eyes, to make a Skype call, to dance the Macarena, to sleep, to grow fingernails, to digest food. You need ATP for every movement. Every word you speak requires this. It's the Bitcoin of energy, if you will. (laughs) All right. So how do you make ATP? You make it in the cell and you make it out of uh, glucose, carbohydrates, or fatty acids, right? And you break it down. Well, a molecule of glucose produces about in the 30s, 36 ATP molecules. And a molecule of fat produces 144. So fats an, an inherently better source of energy. You talk to wow. marathoners; wow. Um, you know they run out of carbs two hours mm-hmm. into the marathon. You know you better be able to be fat. One of my most uh, uh, impressive mentors was Stu Middleman. He was he's an ultra marathon uh, record holder. You can find him in the Guinness Books of World Records. He's also got a master's degree in exercise physiology and nutrition from Columbia. So he was a very interesting guy to study what runners did because he was one. He was a world record holder, and he he's. We We used to see him in in New York City doing warm-up runs of 10 miles a day. And we say, Stu, what are you not? Why are you doing 10 miles? And he said, because I don't have time to do a longer run. So this (laughs) is who we're talking about here. And he used to say to us, you gotta eat butter on your train. Now, this is back in the 90s when nobody was going near fat. And he would say, You gotta eat fat to burn fat. And another one of my professors used to say, Your goal is to be a better butter burner you want to be a fat burner. You don't want to be a sugar burner. I right. have a whole program on this metabolic factor that's, that's being sold all over the internet right now, and it's based on the idea that most of us are stuck in a sugar-burning metabolism. Yeah. So we see these people who are 100 pounds overweight, and they're on the treadmill, and you think, my God, why aren't they burning off those calories? Because they're burning the sugar in their bloodstream, and they can't get to the fat. And here's the thing about that. It's like an ATM. You've got all this stuff in storage. You've got all this money, but you don't have the password. And that's what sugar burners are frustrated by. They've they've got all this fat, got a great source of energy, but they can't access it. It's like having a gas tank, but you don't got the pump. So we want to be better butter burners. We want to be better fat burners. And we want to use that phenomenal source of energy to power our daily activities, not just our exercise, but everything. And that's the whole idea of a ketogenic diet. You just eat fat. There's no sugar to burn. You better be burning fat. So- it's a great source of energy, number one. It, physi- physiologically, it cushions the organs as a protection. Okay, that's, that's interesting and good. Here's the big one with the hormones. So, as everyone listening to your show, I mean, all the paleo hacks know this stuff. It, it, it's, it's just a re- redo of what you all know, but I'm going to. It's okay. Give you the, it's good, it's good for basics. Anyway. Yeah, we so, love when basics. you eat food, your blood sugar goes up. You want that to happen, right? You need that sugar for energy. The pancreas looks at the increase in blood sugar and it immediately responds with a squirt of insulin. Insulin is the hormone who is charged, which is charged with the responsibility of getting that sugar out of the bloodstream where it can do some serious damage if it stays high too long, and getting it into the muscle cells where it can be used for energy. It's a great system, except it breaks down. And when it breaks down, the muscle cells say, "Sorry, we really don't need any more sugar because this dude's going to sit around at the computer all day." And when he gets Tommy's going to use the clicker in front of the TV. What do we need this energy for? Take it elsewhere. And now insulin goes, oh, you know what? Where am I going to take it? Oh, I know fat cells. They love it. They'll take anything. And they do. And now you start to put on weight. Now, those fat cells also don't just sit there on your, on your hips, they also shoot out inflammatory compounds, increasing inflammation in the body, which increases weight even more. So it's a very, very bad spiral. You don't want insulin saying the muscle cells won't let me in, let me take it to the fat cells. So we now start to have to look at food in terms of what's its effect on insulin. Never mind the calories, that's important, but it's not that important. What's really important is, what's it doing? Is it waking up insulin and forcing it so high that the muscle cells are saying, no more, no mas, no mas, or can we keep insulin in a kind of controlled, you know, nice little neutral area, right in what Barry Sears would call the zone? So it's not too high, not too low, just enough to get the sugar out, get it into the muscle cells, keep everything going really well. Okay, so... What has the most effect on blood sugar and insulin? Altogether, class, carbohydrates. What has the second most effect on blood sugar and and insulin? Protein. Protein. It's not nearly as high as carbohydrates, but it does have a little bit of an effect. What has zero effect on blood sugar and insulin? Altogether, class, fat. fat. So when you eat more fat and less carbs, you're actually having a balancing effect on the very hormones that are making you fat.
0: Vicious cycle, eating carbs, gaining weight, getting inflamed, all those things seem to go together, which is what you hit on. And and that was really cool, um, what you just talked about, because I think it nails it on the head that when you start getting back to smart fat or fats altogether, you're able to n- get at that root there. And it, instead of isolating each one, like trying to balance your hormones and trying to lose weight and trying to reduce inflammation... Well, if you just started eating more fat and less carbs, or kind of implement some of these principles, all those three together would start to get better on their own.
1: Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent, hundred percent true, Clark. You you nailed it. OK, so so all these reasons we want to balance our hormones. Uh, you know, if you talk to Dave Perlmutter, uh, the, the, the brilliant author of Grain Brain and, and um, uh, Brain Builder, he'll tell you that you're talking about brain health. I mean, he's a guy who who purposely stays on. A, I don't know if you know David Perlmutter, if you've seen him, he's a tiny little wiry guy. And every time you see him in a conference, he's out running and he hasn't got one ounce of body fat and he eats a ketogenic diet and, a, 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 you know, hugely high in fat almost no carbohydrates. Now, he's not doing it to lose weight. He's doing it because as an integrative neurologist, he has found that the byproducts of fat metabolism, which are called ketones, are the best source of energy in the world for the brain. So as far as he's concerned, eating a high-fat diet is right up his alley. That is a brain-healthy diet.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Johnny, then. I know you're a Uh, a dictionary of stored studies and knowledge and all that that. (laughs) what is your favorite or most compelling study that pops to mind when you're thinking about fats versus carbs versus energy or weight loss anything in that nature oh my
1: god I don't even know where I, I mean, there are so many studies that show higher fat, higher protein, lower carb diets result in more weight loss, but I don't think that's even the interesting thing. I think what's interesting about most of those studies is what else happens beside the weight loss. You always see triglycerides drop like a rock. You always see an improvement in inflammatory markers. You see lowered blood pressure. You see changes in particle size in the cholesterol. So these are very impressive. I'll tell you one study that jumps to my mind that kind of, for me, decimates the whole cholesterol hypothesis. And let me, let me back up. The reason we're interested in cholesterol, and as you very well know, Clark, because you had me on after we wrote it, we wrote a book a couple years ago called The Great Cholesterol Myth, where we just attacked the entire industry that's based on lowering heart disease by lowering cholesterol and pointed out that one has really nothing to do with the other. So if you think about it, though, fat and cholesterol are joined like Siamese twins. They are the Bonnie and Clyde of bad actors in the mind of most uh, establishment dietitians. It's very hard to talk about one with the other. And when you think about it, the only reason we've been told to avoid fat is why? Because it raises cholesterol. And why do we care about that? Because cholesterol causes heart disease. So if that's a myth, which it is, then the whole dietary uh, regulations in the last 40 years just collapse. So that's, that's kind of the connection there. So the study that I love that kind of really puts the, and for me, is just the beginning of the, the coffin being nailed on the cholesterol hypothesis, is a, study, a very classic study. Every researcher knows this uh, study. Everybody who ever went to graduate school for nutrition knows this study. It is called the Leon Diet Heart Study. And what they did in this study, very interesting, 605 people, and they were the walking dead, man. I'm telling you, these guys, you talk about risk factors. There wasn't a risk factor these people did not have. They were mostly men. They were all, uh, all most of them had, had heart disease of some kind. Uh, they had very high cholesterol. Not that I think that matters that much. They were smokers. They ate horrible diets. They didn't exercise. I mean, they were an insurance underwriter's nightmare. Like these guys probably could not get life insurance. So they take 605 of them and they divide them into two groups. And it's a diet study. So one group gets what they were then calling the American Heart Association prudent diet, meaning keep your fat at less than 30%, keep your saturated fat under seven, and don't eat any eggs because it's got cholesterol. All the advice that they have been giving for ages to Americans and still do, sadly, okay? The other group got a, a version of the Mediterranean diet, much higher in fat, but most of it monounsaturated, lots of fruits, vegetables, grains, all that stuff in the Mediterranean diet. So... Then they look, and it goes on for a while, and they look at cardiac deaths, and the cardiac deaths in the Mediterranean group are very low, and they're very high in the American group. And then they look at all-cause mortality, which means anything. You died from getting hit by a bus to a, you know, it's dying in your sleep to a suicide tube, whatever it is, whatever it is, that co- and all-cause mortality in the prudent Western diet group off the, off the charts in the Mediterranean group not so much. It was so dramatic that they stopped the study in the middle and just gave everybody the advice about the Mediterranean pattern of eating. Now, that's not interesting to me. Here's what's interesting to me. So you look at these two groups of people, the Mediterranean people, the American prudent diet people. And you go, well, God, the Mediterranean people, they just, their, their results were so much better. I'll bet their cholesterol dropped, right? No, their cholesterol didn't budge. They just stop dying. There's no connection between high cholesterol and heart disease. It doesn't predict it. It doesn't cause it. Everybody remembers Meet the Press. Tim Russett died on the treadmill at NBC with his cholesterol quite well controlled. Thank you very much. It's just been the biggest red herring. It has a minor part to play in heart disease. And yet, it has had a major part to play in our dietary programs because we all believe that we should avoid saturated fat because of its effect on cholesterol, which keeps us from eating good, healthy, traditional fats, including many saturated fats, and keeps us piling on the vegetable oil, which is in turn more inflammatory than anything it replaced. That's
0: amazing study, uh, and the great cholesterol myth ties in nicely. I know that inflammation is the major problem when it comes to a lot of heart issues. Um, So I've read Um, and I know that's a big part of smart fat. As you say, there's two ways um, to get healthy and balance inflammation and all that. It's why you eat fats is to balance your hormones, which we talked about with the insulin, the blood sugar roller coaster, and that. But the second is inflammation, which ties in nicely to what you were just talking about. Can you kind of unpack that? Like, Uh, fats roll with inflammation.
1: Sure. Well, let's just talk about why a lot of people really still, I find, don't completely understand inflammation. It's a buzzword. It's been out for decades. Time Magazine did this cover, which I show in every one of my slide presentations. It it says, you can look it up, inflammation, the silent killer. I mean, we've known about the role of inflammation and disease for a long time. When I wrote uh, my book, The Most Effective Ways to Live Longer, I looked systemically like what the research said about why people age. And it appeared that there were basically four things that systemically aged and broke down our bodies. And one of them was inflammation, one of them was oxidative damage, one was stress, and one was sugar in the diet. Then we looked at, 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 in our book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. what four things really promote heart disease? And guess what? They were the same four things. Oxidative damage. Uh, oxidized cholesterol is the only kind you got to worry about when it's damaged by oxidation. Inflammation, top of the list. Stress, which can bring on a heart attack or make heart disease far worse than it is. And sugar in the diet, which is highly inflammatory and very uh, correlated with, with bad uh, health outcomes. So- Inflammation has got a major role in every degenerative disease we know of, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, my medical friends who do autopsies tell me when you do an autopsy on the brain of an Alzheimer's patient, get what you see, inflammation, plaque, tangles. Inflammation is part of every major disease that we know of. It's vastly important. And that's why anti-inflammatory foods and anti-inflammatory supplements are so critical. Now, I'm going to give you an example. I I just wrote a blog about this, and it's a very interesting theory. Um, People will say, well, what does diabetes have to do with inflammation? So, remember we mentioned earlier that the fat cells don't just sit on your hips like we used to think they did, just annoying you like little sponges. No, they're actually little hormone factories, and they put out lots of inflammatory compounds. Now, let me explain. We talked a little earlier about insulin resistance. Why doesn't insulin get into the muscle cells? Well, one reason is there's too much of the sugar and too much of the insulin and not enough need for energy from the muscle cells. That's certainly one reason, but let's dig down a little bit deeper. It's quite an elegant theory. It was just put forward by Dr. Patrick Kins. Uh, Kingsley in England and um, I I managed to uh, obtain an article by him and and read this theory, which I think is just fascinating. So I wrote a blog about it. This is what happens when, when insulin gets to your cell, I I have a fish tank. I use the fish tank as an example. When I put my hand on the fish tank, the fish are trained. (laughs) They know, Oh, here comes that big human hand. It's got food in it. And you can see them all, all eight of them. They kind of come to the surface and they come to wait for the food. Well, Picture insulin going to your cell. Here's insulin, the hand, with the sugar in it, which is the fish food. And what happens is something in the cell called the GLUT4, glucose transporter number four, swims up to the top of the cell, just like my fish do, grabs the sugar from the insulin, goes back in. Makes sense?
0: That's a good example.
1: Inflammatory compounds kill GLUT4. There is a direct connection between inflammation and insulin resistance, diabetes, and obesity. The inflammatory compounds literally shoot the fish. They shoot the GLUT4. There's nothing to come up to the cells and grab that sugar. Wow. So they also, inflammatory compounds also break down an enzyme called lipoprotein lipase, lapis, which actually breaks down fat. So now you've got a double whammy. It's killing the guy that gets the sugar into the cell and it's killing the guy that breaks down fat. So inflammation makes a big difference to your health. And it's very, very important to be aware of that and to eat in a way that lowers inflammation.
0: Sounds like a bad aquarium. I wouldn't want to live in. <laughs> exactly. it's a dangerous place. I know glute four is also activated with exercise, like heavy resistance training. Correct? Mm-hmm. Is, is that where that ties in? Yeah, to- all the
1: good stuff. All the good stuff activates the things you want activated, and all the bad stuff shuts them down. I mean, that's the good <laughs> you know rule of thumb to remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't remember glute four anything, you can pretty much sure that exercise ninety nine percent of the t- uh, percent of the time is going to increase the things you want increased. And eating inflammatory foods like sugar is going to decrease the things you want not to be decreased.
0: That's fascinating. So with inflammation, um, what are kind of Johnny Bowden's major go-tos or protocols when someone comes to you or they want to start eating an anti-inflammatory diet?
1: Yeah. And by the way, the, if people are probably thinking to themselves, well, how do I know if I've got inflammation? There's two answers to that. Number one is if you're breathing, you got inflammation. Everybody has it. The question is how much? And the second is a very good test for this. And you can ask your doctor for is the CRP test. It's called a high sensitive CRP test. And it tests for a protein that's a good systemic measure of inflammation. You want that number to be one or less, preferably less than one. You do not want that number over one. If you do, you've got more inflammation than you need to be having.
0: Is it so, common? Is it common if it's over one in most people?
1: Um, I don't know what the statistics are with that. My guess is it's 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 high in most people. Or it's higher than we want it to be in most most measurements are blood pressure, you know, all of, all the things. Um, so so that's my 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 first thing is to, to know that you have it. If you want to test it with a test, by all means, do so. If your doctor says you don't need the CRP test, please change doctors. So. Um, what can we do about it? Well, there's a lot of things that cause inflammation that really we don't have a lot of control of. Exposure to toxins, things in the air, things in the water, pesticides on on the grains that we eat and the crops that we we consume. Um, uh, Medications, recreational drugs, all of those are inflammatory. Sugar is hugely inflammatory. That's something we do have some control about. But there's also a lot of really good anti-inflammatory foods and supplements. So let's start with the supplements. My favorite without question is omega-3 it's the most anti-inflammatory molecule on the planet if you're a vegetarian you get it from flaxseed uh i love barleans is is my favorite brand for that um i certainly fish oil um I, I think probably has even more research on it than flaxseed oil. It's a very, very anti-inflammatory, and I would recommend that's one of my go-to supplements for absolutely everybody.
0: How? how sorry to cut you off. How much would you recommend the everyday everybody
1: drink? debates this left and right? And the, if you talk to the real health guys who like really live this stuff, well, it'll tell you four or five grams, three, four grams, things like that. And that's what they do. That's what I do we're talking about the general public who barely gets half a gram every two days. Maybe we're happy if they'll just take a gram. You know, I mean, we, you want to make the bar low enough so that people can take some Omega three if they're not taking anything. Um, ideally I'd probably go three grams. Okay. One Um, last,
0: one last question on that. Is there a damage if you go above five grams? Cause I know some people listening are saying, I'll just crank this baby up and take the whole bottle or whatever. Like what's, what's kind of the upper limit?
1: Well, here, that's, a, that's a great question. And I get asked that a lot about everything from water to oxygen. You have to understand that here's the macro picture. You've got to understand that there is no substance on Earth, including water and air, that you can't die from too much of. Every two, three years, some stupid shock jock on the radio does some you know, stunt where they see how much water you can drink in an hour and somebody dies of water poisoning. It does happen. It happens less than you, be, you would expect to be hit by a meteorite, but it does happen. And in much the same way, it is possible to change, invert the equation. I mean, most, right now we've got this omega-3, omega-6 in, in relationship that we talked about earlier. It's ideal to be one-to-one. Most of us are consuming 16 to 1 in favor of omega-6. Uh, so that's the main problem main problem is not getting too much omega-3. It's getting too little. Is it theoretically possible to do that? Absolutely. If you're an explorer in Greenland and you are living on walrus blubber, blubber and seal meat, and that's all, yeah, you might not get enough omega-6s. There's no vegetables that grow up there. And and you could be, and that will thin the blood. You know, I mean, there's there are, yeah. there are downsides. But this is as rare as the people who come to you and me and say, I just have so much trouble gaining weight. I mean, there are people like that. There, right. there are whole magazines develop, uh, devoted to them in the bodybuilding world, like Hard Gainer and stuff like that, That you know, for these skinny guys that really want to put them. But they're a minority, man. I mean, compared to the – you talk to any nutritionist in the country, 99% of their clients are in there because they can't get the weight off, not because they can't put it on. And it's kind of the same thing here. Yes, you can – Have too much omega three. I I think three or four grams. You you don't need to go much higher than that. You know, you just at least want to make sure that you balance it uh, with a little omega six, which isn't really a problem for most people because you can't avoid omega six. Yeah. But um, so I would put that caveat in there. But I'd say for ninety nine percent of the people listening, the question isn't getting too much omega three; it's getting too little.
0: Okay. So we got the omega threes. It's gonna three to four grams ish, maybe
1: one gram. If three you grams want to start is fine. Out. I'd be happy with three grams for most people. And then uh, uh, curcumin. I love curcumin. Um, now curcumin has gotten a lot of press recently. It's really involved in a lot of different pathways. It's anti-inflammatory. It's very, very protective of the liver. Very helpful for the liver. Um, It's a great antioxidant. Uh, It just does a lot of different things and works on a lot of different pathways. It helps uh, activate the the cellular defense system. I mean, there's just a million things that curcumin does. The only issue with curcumin is turmeric, the spice that it comes from. It's not well absorbed. And curcumin in general, you don't get most of it. So I look for products that use a particular kind of curcumin called BCM95 curcumin. Um, That has a lot of clinical studies behind it and seems to be absorbed better than the average curcumin. And the, the the brand that uses exclusively BCM95 that you can get in health food stores and G, GNC and Vitamin Shop is called Terry Naturally. And that's my favorite brand for curcumin. That's what I use every day.
0: I heard with uh, turmeric and then the active component curcumin, I was looking into it because I was fascinated as well. It has Fantastic the mo- stuff. Oh, it has the most scientifically backed research it when it comes to cancer.
1: It, uh, oh, I didn't even mention that. It absolutely does, and in legitimate settings as well. And this is not all, you know, uh, esoteric alternative medicine stuff. There's some right. serious stuff going on uh, studying curcumin and its effect on cancer cells. So, yeah, uh, very much a fan of that stuff.
0: It's it's interesting, like how they just started. Uh, I mean, they've probably been doing it for like 50 years now studying that. But it seems like such a random thing that contains so much benefits. Like this it does. little this little turmeric, uh, it kind of looks like a finger. That, that you would just kind of skimp over and maybe dye your clothes with back in the day. And <laughs> right, here exactly. it is sitting in front of us and it's the most anti-cancer it's, food it's, to it, date. It, or
1: It is. I, 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 that's a, a big part of my daily supplement routine. Another supplement a little harder to find is iso- cru- quercetin or isoquercetin. Quercetin is found in apples and onions and it's a very anti-inflammatory flavonoid. And just that, you know, I'm convinced all this grandmother wisdom, like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. All this stuff that your grandmother... It's all being born out to be true. We didn't know why it was true back then, but now we're finding out, wait a minute, that might have an effect on the microbiome. That's why they keep thinking that that was so healthy and we didn't know it because we didn't know what the microbiome was, but there's one of the connections. With apples, it might well be the fiber, the pectin, or it might be the quercetin, the anti-inflammatory flavonoid, but God knows it has a good effect. So apples, onions, uh, omega-3s, wild fish, fish, um, And again, you know, there's as much of a difference in fish like salmon between the wild kind and the farmed kind as there is in meat between grass fed and factory farmed. I get my salmon exclusively from a company called Vital Choice. Uh, I wish I owned part of it, but I don't. But they're a great company, and they ship it directly from, I think, from Alaska or certainly from Seattle. Maybe it's Seattle where their headquarters are, but they are wild Alaskan fishermen, three generations. They test this stuff every which way for impurities. They fish in a sustainable way. They're environmentally conscious, and it doesn't cost any more than whole foods. So I just get it shipped from them.
0: Vital Choice is your – Vital Choice, it's okay. called. And, and sorry, what was the apple supplement you were talking about earlier?
1: Quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-I-T-I-N. Of course, it's
0: okay. Great. Um, so supplements important, maybe those are some people can think about adding into their diet. Mm-hmm. What about any other like health hacks? I know we're coming up on time here, but do you are, are you big on like I don't know cold showers or I, I,
1: I think the, the, the one that I, th- I think has got the best uh research behind it passes the smell test, makes the most sense in terms of our experience and also, as I said, has some pretty good research behind it, is intermittent fasting. I think that's a hack that we could all use, and I don't think it's that hard to do. Look, if you eat an early dinner and you skip breakfast the next morning, you've just done an intermittent fast. It's not that hard to do. I mean, you eat at seven, don't eat again until noon the next day. You've just done 18 hours. So there's a lot of ways to do this, to take a break from a couple of meals to take a day off once a week today, you know, to do periods of 12 hours. But there seems to be something really magical about that thing uh, on a lot of different levels. A lot of theories have been put forth as to why that is. Um, it, it certainly has something to do with not acting in, uh, activating insulin too often. Um, so I'm a, I think that that's something that we could all benefit from and try pretty painlessly and, and give a, you know, a, a, a trial of a few weeks for and see if it makes us feel better, more energetic, lose any weight, all those things. And you can see that in a few weeks of trial.
0: Johnny, a couple closing questions for you. Um, This is why I love talking to you, man. It just flew by like this, but uh, to wrap it up, I guess, uh, let's start off with in the past year, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned?
1: In the past year, What's been the biggest lesson I learned? Um, I I assume you're talking about nutrition.
0: Anything. It can go go either way. It can go tennis if you want.
1: Uh, I don't – the reason I'm hesitating is not because I can't think of the lessons. It's because I'm having trouble isolating whether any of them occurred in this last year as a kind of aha, eureka moment. I don't have too many Eureka moments anymore. And the reason for that is not because I don't think about this stuff, but because uh, realizations about how the way the world works, how people get information, how they think about nutrition or tennis or politics or any of this, um, this stuff evolves over time. And, you know, I'm going to be 70 on my next birthday. I've been observing people and events and health and politics and literature all this stuff for a very very long time so there's there's very few things that I go wow I never knew that but there's a lot of things that I go I never thought of it in quite that way before so I guess if there's if there's one you know thing that I'd like to crystallize it would be that I think that one of the biggest pieces of collateral damage that the internet society has brought to us, the Twitter society, the Facebook, is that we think in sound bites, And we try to capture very complex relationships in 140 characters. So you get questions like, are bananas good? Are, is pasta bad for you? And those are questions that cannot be answered with yes or no's. They are complex issues. And what the, the biggest fear I have is that people have lost the ability to think about things completely in in terms of their interrelationships and all the factors. Are bananas good? Well, let's see. Depends. If you need immediate energy, maybe so. If you're trying to lose weight, I don't know. What's the glycemic index? Is it a ripe banana or is it a very, uh, one of those brown ones that's pure sugar? You know, there's a lot of things that go into deciding, take carrot juice, which, you know, gets such a reputation, or beet juice. Beet juice particularly because now it's really big in the paleo community and we all know it, it. It stimulates nitric oxide production and so athletes are using it. But beet juice is very high in sugar. It's a great detoxifying food and it does support nitric oxide production. But maybe if you're a diabetic, not the best food for you. It maybe be better to eat it with some butter or to slow the glycemic impact by adding some fat. So all of these are issues that people are perfectly capable of unpacking. But we seem to have just been having our brains reprogrammed in such a way that if it can't take place in a flash, if you can't understand it, and all you can really understand in a flash is very simple stuff, you know. And I I would, I guess my one, you know, if I had, if I was leaving the planet tomorrow, I'd say to everybody, slow down a minute. Think about some things. Think about problems a little bit beyond the immediate solution. And we're going to see that with global warming. We're such a let's fix it right now and just we'll worry about that then. And then is going to come as it always does in health. And I can tell you this from the benefit of a few decades of doing this, that the 20 year olds who say it doesn't matter what I eat or how I smoke, I'm going to feel fine on Friday, don't know what it's going to be like to be my age and look 20 years older than me. And that's what I see constantly. And that's what I try so hard to make my message be about. You don't have to look 20 years older than me when you're younger than me. You can actually have an amazing life with a lot of energy and not wake up with an alarm clock and be on a tennis court every day and have passion in your life and a great relationship. And you can do that if you Fuel the darn body the way it was meant to be fueled and you do the right things for your mind, which is to keep it open, to keep it spiritually active, to feel connected with other people, to get outside in the greenery and get some sunlight. If you do those things, it's not rocket science. You can actually make this particular computer work very well.
0: First off, seven years old, you look great, man. You look uh, phenomenal you. energy and everything and in, in shape, I guess, power of nutrition, Um Second, so Smart Fat came out. Uh, Amazon, the best place to get it, or where would you like? Amazon to send it? or
1: Barnes and Noble, absolutely. And may, can I do a shameless plug? I, I yeah. If you don't mind. Plug um, it up. So you probably know the last year I spent uh, producing something called the Truth About Fat Loss Summit. I interviewed 38 experts, and I'm talking about some of them were world class David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain, William Davis, who wrote Wheat Belly, Barry Sears, who wrote The Zone, uh, Anne Louise Gilman, the First Lady of Nutrition, people who talked about the microbiome, who talk, Sarah Godfrey, the Harvard educated PhD, uh, uh, MD who, who wrote The Hormone Cure. I mean, really, really top people. And we did in depth questions with hardball, uh, in depth interviews with hardball questions, and we talked about all of the different issues in why people gain weight and why they find it so hard to lose and what kinds of obstacles could be there. And what I did was um, I picked 10 interviews that were pretty representative and pretty cool, some really good ones in there, including three that were voted the most popular. I put them together in a free package. called I call it the VIP Fat Loss Summit Package. It's on my website. You get all 10 interviews plus the transcripts that come with them and the slides that come with them. And I also did a 15-minute lecture on motivation that people tell me changes their entire way of looking at being motivated and that's all in the vip package and it's all free all you got to do is go to my website and download it and that's johnnyboden.com no h in johnny j-o-n-n-y
0: okay awesome truth about fat loss summit i'm looking at it right now looks killer man i'm a, Thanks. i'm gonna check this out before okay, good yeah definitely um might learn the truth about fat loss in there
1: all right so a- get my vip package it's free all right all dr right, Bowden. So fun
0: having you on. Thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Johnny Bowden, everyone. Episode seven was with him on Unleash Your Thin. If you're curious about the first time he was on, can't recall off the top of my head what the second time Johnny was on was but uh he's on the best of Paler Hacks episode which is a compilation I did as a new year's kind of a new year's gift to you. I listened through every single episode and took the best I believe there's 10 clips in there. Spliced them together for an hour long podcast with some commentary in between. Um and that's over there on Paler Hacks that's also on YouTube just type best of paleo Hacks podcast in your iTunes search bar or anywhere on YouTube or uh, our site, and it'll pop up. You can listen to it and get Johnny as well as nine other guests that'll blow you away. Uh, what else do we got for announcements? Paleohacks.com, of course. If you want our archives for every single show we've ever released, head on over there, go to podcast section, uh, iTunes rating and review. If you guys listen to this show. Um this is not your first time listening. Please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review. Especially if you're a long-time listener, we need you. We need you to participate. We really appreciate it. Um helps us out. Okay, and then 11 questions to change your life. This is a free ebook I put together on the best 11 questions that will change your life. Promise, uh, if you take them seriously and answer them in your car, driving, think about them in the bath, wherever, in your journal. Uh, 100% free. You can either email me or um, go over to my site, clarkdanger.com, and it's right up there. Put in your email. They get sent right to you. Snapchat at PaleoHacks. If you're on there, add us real quick. Got lots of behind the scenes stuff. At Clark Dangerous, that's O-U-S as well. Um, and that's it. All right, next week we have Diana Rogers coming on from Sustainable Dish talking about how to raise livestock and chickens in your backyard. Even if you live in a city, even if it's crowded, can you raise chickens? How much does it cost? Um, And we get into all sorts of stuff too, like what's life on the farm like? What's it like to sell everything in your corporate job and take a full-time gig as a farmer like her husband? Really cool conversation. She's got a lot of energy. I'm excited for you to hear that. The following week, we have Lier Keith coming on to talk about the vegetarian myth. Going to be a little controversial show I am envisioning. Uh, Lier's a sweetheart, though. I mean, I, I have nothing but love for her. She did a killer job on the show, knocked it out of the park, um, really respectful too towards vegans, vegetarians. It's not about what diet is best. It's just about putting information out there. Um, so we have all the facts. So we have all the information and we can make informed decisions. So I like it was not a dogmatic show in any way. I'm excited to release that in two weeks. Okay, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. And I will see you back here next Thursday.